Welcome back to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. In this podcast, I, I'm just basically reading through the Library of America in small little chunks of about 100 pages uh, at a time, as best as, as best as I can arrange it that way, volume by volume and, and book by book. Well, anyways, uh, currently I'm examining uh, Willa Cather's early novels, and I've already looked at Troll Gardens, The Song of the Lark, and Old Pioneers, and now we've come to the book that often gets talked about as her first masterpiece. I think this is the work that people are most likely to perhaps read, um, although this is the first time I've read this work, my Antonia. You know, it's I think it's the book that usually people, people think about when they think about Willa Cather, they think about my Antonia. Uh, not so much like The Song of the Lark or, or some of the other books she wrote. And it is a really wonderful novel, I have to say. I, I very much enjoyed reading it. It's a very quick read. It's a very intimate portrayal. It's very much like Old Pioneers in that way. Song of the, the Song of the Lark was a little bit more sprawling and and expansive and, and of course, much longer. Uh, my, my, my Antonia is about 200 pages, and it really basically covers... A handful of periods in the life of the narrator um, basically the first half of the novel the part I'm going to talk about in this episode it covers about the first hundred pages of the novel the first half really is about how our narrator comes to Nebraska and his experiences there and then his interactions with the various people of of the countryside surrounding the town of, of Black Hawk Nebraska and one of these families that he interacts with is the Shermata a family, a, a Bohemian family, a Czech family, I guess we'd say now. But you know, and, you know, I was actually wondering when this identity of Czech emerged versus Bohemian, or if Bohemia is just a term outsiders gave gave them, and that the Czech identity has always been there. I'm not really sure about that. But anyways, they're always referred to as Bohemians in this particular story. And so you got the Shermada family, and they're recent immigrants. So like Jim, they're recent migrants to to this this area of this area frontier nebraska essentially and then it's really about the struggles that these people face um jim's he's kind of coming into a more established family so he doesn't really face these same challenges but he can observe through through antonia and her family these struggles and then it really the core of the novel is this character antonia and how she endures various challenges in her life and you know, and the kind of woman she becomes. Um, it's it's not a cliche kind of romantic tale where the narrator falls in love with Antonia and then they end up happily ever after. It's really not about that. It's it's about the friendship they have. And there are moments in which, you know, they maybe play around with it, especially when they're young, playing out the idea that they might uh, get together. And certainly the narrator, Jim, has an emotional connection to Antonia. But, you know, it's it's more... You know, it's not quite romantic. I wouldn't call it. I wouldn't call it quite romantic. It's, it's really a, a man thinking back on this his upbringing, his experiences in Nebraska, the people he met there, and then this one dear friend he had, and then you know how she developed is something that he's interested in and curious about, and he thinks back to. And so, the the novel ends with him kind of seeing her much later in life and observing where her life is. And, and the kind of woman she's become. And we'll talk about that more in the next this next episode. So anyways, in this episode, I just want to talk about book one of My Antonia. There are, I believe, five books, like or kind of like sections, 
maybe we'll call them sections or chapters, maybe chapters the wrong words. There, there's like five sections um, titled. The same way a song the Lark had, I think, six sections with like titles. And then within it, you know, it's several chapters or, or, or sections within each of those parts. Here you got five of them. Now, the first one, the Shermadas, takes up about half of the novel, and the other four are much shorter. Um, and in fact, one of those is fairly long too. So really the three last parts are really just more like small vignettes um, in the life of, of our character mostly. And, and actually a couple of them don't really deal directly with Antonia at all. Um, but so we're going to focus on the first part of, of this novel, um, which again, as I said, covers the first half of it. And then it's really about the, the, the youth of our narrator and how he met Antonia and her family and then the various challenges that the people, the immigrants in Frontier, Nebraska faced. And the title of the first part is simply The Shimerdas, which is, of course, the name of Antonia's family. I mean, this novel is really not about love so much, but it is about admiration. And, um, and I, I like that about it um, because a, a lesser author would have just made it about kind of the youthful romance that, that, that um, drifted away in life but th this is just about uh, a young man who comes to very much respect and and admire um, another person um, who had a very different life and very different experiences than his own even though they share a few experiences but in a very different way you know they're both come to Nebraska they're both kind of frontier people they both lose parents I mean so there's some commonalities here so anyways our, let's talk about the characters of my at least the ones that appear in the first part of the story um, and the main ones are are Jim Jim Burden he's the narrator um, in fact let me just say a little bit about the structure of the novel before uh, going back to the character list the novel is actually presented as a as we have a, actually a character early on who it, so th let me say it this way: there, there was a there's a preface to the novel which is narrated by someone else, um, and they both have a memory of Antonia, and, and they basically agree to both write down their memoirs of of their what they know about this woman. And the book by Antonia then is Jim's reflections. So it's written as, as like later life reflections on on this ch this woman he met when they were children, and then how she. You know how he interacted with her and the different experiences in life, as the, to the degree they intersected with, with Antonia. So that's the structure of the novel. But our main character then is Jim. Um, he goes to Nebraska because his parents. He's basically widow or sorry orphaned, and he goes to live with his grandparents who who live there. Uh, so then you have his grandparents, uh, basically just grandfather and grandmother. They they've been there a while. Uh, they're older, of course, so. They, they have a farm, so they're, they're fairly established in this place in Nebraska. And then at some point later, they move to Blackhawk, the major town, when they get too old to really run the farm. And this is kind of what, when Jim starts to break away from Antony and starts going in his own way, because he's going to have a very different career path than, than Antony is. And, you know, when they're not together in the same kind of rural community, they start to lose touch. But that, that moving to Blackhawk is a, is a major transformation. Um, and uh, Antonia herself, Antonia Shimerda is uh, the Shimerda family itself, I guess. We have um, four people in this family, uh, Mr. Shimerda and Mrs. Shimerda. They're 
obviously all four of these family members were born in in Bohemia. They all come to America around the time that Jim arrives to. And Antonia is, is probably the strongest of these characters, uh, the most fierce, the most... Um, What I want to say, uh, really, the most independent of of these characters, and there's this a bit of kind of some. The whole family is fairly impressive because you know they're they are migrants and a frontier family. But Antonia handles the pressures that the family faces a lot better than a few other characters, especially her brother Ambrose and her father. Both um, don't handle this very well. In fact, Mister Schmidt only like lasts a year. Uh, or even less than a year in in the Americas, and Ambrose, um, you know, just doesn't deal with the death of his father quite as well as as Antonio does. Um, who else is here? Um, there's Otto Fuchs is another character we have who's like a hired hand of of Jim's grandparents, um, and then we have Russian Peter. And another guy named Pavel. These are both Russians, and they they kind of work some land together. They're heavily in debt, and they have a and that's actually going to be a major theme. The Shmurdas face the same kind of issues with debt, but especially the Russian Russian Peter in particular is, is kind of enduring the problems of of debt and mortgages. And you know, if you study the American history of this period, you know, the late nineteenth, early twentieth century. You've probably come across, you know, the discussion of what it was like to be a farmer in post-Civil War America, and really that involved heavy pressures to increase production, which lowered prices of goods, which, uh, but also that required a lot of debt to, you know, buy machinery, to buy land, to expand production, and that helped contribute to the overall deflationary climate of the later. 19th century, and of course that has ties to the depressions of 1890s and the Great Depression, right? This is all tied to the gold standard too, where the money supply was limited and prices remained very low. This affected not just farmers in the West, but of you know sharecroppers in the South and tenant farmers in the South too. And of course, this all kind of explodes in the populist movement of the 1890s. We really don't get a t any hint of this happening in the novel, as far as I could. Talk, as far as I could see, but there was a lot of discussion of just the debt and the burden of debt on people and, and how it really made their lives more difficult. And um, Some characters really have to give up being farmers because of, of these pressures. And uh, Russia Peter really contributes to that. So th those are the main characters we meet in the first part of, of My Antonia, the first half of the story. There's going to be others who who joined later, most most importantly, Lena Lingard, who is more of a working class girl. Eventually, she's going to be the one Jim, you know, has a more romantic relationship with than, than Antonia. More standard kind of romantic fare with, between Lena and, and Jim. Antonia, though, is a really special memory in, in Jim's mind because of just, I think, the, the strength of her character and her independence and her ability to kind of weather the, the challenges her family faces. Now, as I already said, the opening introduction of the novel is really a, a, di a different narrator talking about this basically agreement 
she has with Jim to to write down our you know our mutual memories of of Antonia and then compare notes. That was kind of the plan. Now she says she never writes her own, but Jim did write his, and so that's what we have. That's the book. Um, now Burden, Jim Burden is is presented early on here as a a very modern figure. And I think it made me think a lot of the Song of the Lark and how you had this kind of frontier area getting transformed into a modern um, world. Now, Jim, he's 10 when he goes to Black Hawk and the, the rural areas around there and, you know, being, begins his life. He eventually goes to college in Lincoln, very much like, um, uh, what's his name, the character in uh, Old Pioneers, uh, Emil, right? So Emil also goes to college in, in Lincoln. So he kind of stays there, and eventually he moves around a lot more, but he becomes very much a, a modern capitalist, and this is how our first narrator describes him. As for Jim, no disappointments have been severe enough to chill his naturally romantic and ardent dispositions. This disposition, though, it often made him seem funny when he was a boy, has been one of the strongest elements in his success. He loves, with a personal passion, the great country through which his railway runs and branches. His faith in it and his knowledge of it have played an important part in his development. He's always able to raise capital for new enterprises in Wyoming or Montana, and he's helped young men out there do remarkable things in mines and timber and oil. If a young man had come with an idea, or if a young man with an idea can once get Jim Burden's attention, can manage to accompany him when he goes off into the wilds hunting for lost parks or exploring new canyons, then the money which means action is usually forthcoming. Jim is still able to lose himself in those big Western dreams. Though he's over 40 now, he meets new people and new enterprises with the impulsiveness with which his boyhood friends remember him. He never seems to me to grow older. End quote. So there's this, I mean, the connection between kind of this frontier ethos, but this kind of the capitalist exploitation of the West and how they intersect here, I think is kind of interesting. And I think there's a lot of space to interpret what's going on here and and how the frontier dream the agrarian myth the jeffersonian kind of agrarian myth the homestead act stuff intersects with the modern economy and speculation and investment and you know building mines and railroads and the resource exploitation and then you know we don't really meet indians here but you know this land was all stolen from them and their fate the his, his, the, the tragic history that the indians face is tied up in that same exploitation of the West, really empire, right? Although, well, Cather, I don't think ever talks about the frontier in terms of empire. Uh, we got to be honest that that's sort of what we're dealing with here. Um, so that's a kind of interesting moment in early on. But what we see, I think the point here for Cather is a little bit more that this character, Jim Burden, has brought with him throughout life this kind of frontier spirit, which he wouldn't have had had he not been orphaned and sent to to live with his grandparents in in Nebraska, right? So that's something that comes out of his experience in the frontier. Very much, you know, if you want to think about it in almost Frederick Jackson Turner-esque terms of, you know, how the frontier kind of remakes the American spirit. Anyway, you know, you can find hints of that in this in this work. So there's a bit of a romanticism, I think, of the frontier, but Willa Cather never fully embraces it, right? So you'll, she'll have characters that the hard, sturdy frontier products of the frontier, not so much Jim, but really Antonia. Um, I guess Jim gets something else out of the frontier, and that's maybe this romanticism, you know. But at the same time, you see just how hard it is there and how the challenges these people face. But Cather doesn't talk about exploitation, she doesn't really 
see it in those terms. And I don't know if that's something she's blinkered by or something she really doesn't want to address or, or maybe, maybe it's just something she's not seen or reflecting on. And none of the works I've seen do I see kind of a, a critical materialistic reading of it. And, and that's not that saying it's bad, you know, it's just, it's not what you get when you read Cather's work, you know. In fact, in Old Pioneers, we had a character who sort of was the speculator and kind of taking land from farmers who've had uh, fell in hard times, buying their land cheap, and then profiting from it. And that's the hero of our story. So, yeah, but I, I she's not going to be, ta- she's not the kind of writer, at least at this point in her career, who's going to be talking about empire. Um, but we, she does see the introduction of modernity, right? Um, but I do think when you have Jim, who seems to come out of this experience with this romanticized experience and, and memory of the frontier, maybe because he was just there as a youth. And I think when he was, he gets there at 10, so about 14, he moves to Blackhawk. And then from there, he's off to college and then he's off to his life, right? So it's more of his childhood. For Antonia, who stays there, stays in the countryside and becomes a, a frontier wife, uh, one of whose reputation is not fully respected by the people around her for reasons we'll get to she she's harder and she's more the the, the she, she's more representative i think of the endurance of of certain customs and traditions and ways of life in in the rural areas and and you know jim doesn't seem like the person who would make it i guess is what i'm trying to say and antonia from very early on we learn is the kind of character who's going to make it Okay, let's try to do this. There's 19 ch- section, sections or chapters or, you know, subsections in book one. I guess she does call them books. I was struggling with, well, you know, should I call these sections or, you know, parts? They're, she calls them books. Um, so book one, the Shemurda, has 19 chapters. I guess if, if, if book one is, if the Shemurda is a book, yeah, it's fair to call these different parts chapters. So chapter one, I don't know if I'll talk about all 19 in, in detail, but basically in chapter one, we just see Jim arriving in, and, you know, going, you know, traveling, you know, on a rail car to Nebraska, to Blackhawk. And he's reading romanticized stories of the frontier. So he's reading, like, I think it's Jesse James. Is, that's what he's getting. So he's, he's, he's a Virginian who's reading a romanticized view of the West before going to the West, right? And how many of us do this, right? We go travel someplace and we read accounts that present it in beautiful or romantic or interesting ways, and we're often disappointed. If he, you know, when he first has an impression of of the place he, he arrives at, it's, it's a little bit disappointed, but it's just, he's just struck by the size of it all. Quote, there was nothing but land, not a country at all, but a material out of which countries are made. No, there was nothing but land, slightly undulating. I knew because often our wheels ground against the brake as we went down into a hollow and lurched up again on the one side, or lurch up again on the other side. I had a feeling that the world was left behind, that we had got over the edge of it and were outside man's jurisdiction. I had never before looked up at the sky, and there was not a fam- familiar mountain ridge against it. But this was a complete dome of heaven all there was of it. I do not believe that my dead father and mother were watching me from up there. They would still be looking for me at the sheep fold down by the creek or along the white road that led to the mountain pastures. I had left even their spirits behind me. The wagon jolted on carrying me and I knew not whither. I don't think I was, I don't think I was homesick. If we never arrived anywhere, it didn't really matter. Between the earth and that sky, I felt a race blotted out. I did not say my prayers that night. 
here I felt what they would be. Now that's his first impression of, of Nebraska. And in the next chapter, he just pretty much meets his grandparents and like Otto Fuchs and well, Jake was, I think, the, his, his companion on the trip. Um, but, you know, he's basically getting his feel for for the area and the garden and, and just playing around and, and, you know, getting the lay of the land and, the, and knowing some of the people most intimately tied to the life he's going to be living in Nebraska. And a bit like in the end of part one, where we he has this view of of this land as kind of virgin, and what how does he describe it? The land, just the material from which a land would be made or a country would be made from. That it's kind of we got this continuation of this romanticization of of the frontier and of this of this land. But now it's a little bit more civilized in the fact that we're actually on a farm. And then in part section or chapter three, we meet the Shimadas, the Shimurdas. And of course, the most important of these is Antonia. Um, we learn early on that they're not really that well prepared to be here. They they basically are kind of living in a little hovel, essentially kind of like a, a shack. They were taken advantage of by other people in town, in part because they didn't trust Germans and Aust or they didn't trust Austrians, right? And that, that probably had to, that had to do with kind of old world politics, you know, Bohemia being part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire at the time. And what else? Yeah, the father, Mr. Schmerd, is not even a farmer back in Bohemia. He was like, a, you know, he played the fiddle or something. So he he was a musician and they really aren't set up very well. And they're kind of in, in a fragile place. But they arrive just around the, they're around the same time that Jim does. So basically the first meeting is kind of the bringing of gifts to the new neighbors. Now, his first interactions with Antonia is really through sort of English lessons. And Jim takes on the role as being Antonia's tutor. Antonia actually is a little bit older than Jim, I think four years older. So she's probably like 14 at the time. But she's deemed the one who's going to, to learn English to be the translator. The, the parents aren't going to learn English, it seems. They, they sort of give up on that. And I'm not quite sure why the younger brother doesn't want to learn English. But, you know, she's the one who's going to take this this duty to to be the interpreter to be the translator for the family and Jim's role then becomes really being her her tutor essentially and helping her and hanging out with her and teaching her English so that's how they're going to kind of build up their their friendship um, but what we, we we're, we're meeting here though a family and there's probably many of these throughout history many of these in places like like frontier Nebraska that just aren't prepared that don't really that, that aren't set up to make it right they're easily taken advantage of. They don't have the skills. They they really don't know the world that they're entering into. They kind of came at it with the same kind of romantic dreams that that Jim's already expressed. Now his are probably different than what the European immigrant has, but it's still a kind of a dream, right? And a lot of the internal pressure within the Shimerda family has to do with the fact that Mrs. Shimerda thought that you know America is going to be the land of milk and honey and she constantly nagged him to come to america and mr shimmer never wanted to go he was happy he had friends he had a career he had you know everything was doing fine in bohemia but he finally got nagged to death essentially that's how it's described in the book anyways um i know it's a bit gendered to talk about those terms but that's how cather presents it and then you know he finally went despite you know not really wanting to and you know he's not the kind of guy who's going to be a successful farmer right it's not even that 
committed to the kind of the profession. And then a little bit later, we meet the the Russians. So it's it's Russian Peter and and Pavel, and they're like Pavel's kind of like uh, like an anarchist of some sort, or at least that's kind of the rumor about him. Uh, they're basically our day laborers who own a little bit of land and work it. I think one of them even has like a cow, um, but because it must be where they were geographically you know, in the Russian versus the Austro-Hungarian Empire, that they, they sort of can talk to each other. So the Russians become the companions of of Mr. Shermerda. And the one he, he goes to them and hangs out with them a lot. And they're able to kind of share social life. So this helps make it a little bit easier for Mr. Shermerda to make do. Um, but also the other thing we get out of this is the introduction of these characters is just this diversity of of the migrant, the immigrant population coming into America at the end of the 19th century from all different parts of Europe, uh, you know, from all these different dialects. And then the, the struggles that they faced, you know, in the cities, it's one thing, right? We, we know a lot about the immigrant experience in New York City, right? Where you, or Chicago, where you go to your ethnic neighborhood and you have all these institutions. There's churches, there's newspapers, you know, there'll be restaurants and pubs and and even connections for jobs and things that are tied to your native place, right? And to some degree, these ethnic neighborhoods endure, you know, Little Italy or Chinatown or whatever. You know, in the frontier, though, in the West, you don't really have this. And you might be the only family from one part of Europe out there, right? And so if you don't make these connections with neighbors, if you can't even speak with them, you're going to be really isolated. And Mr. Schirmer is really lucky to have these Russians who he can sort of talk to. Um, but I just think we got this really interesting model of, of diversity. And then these two bachelors living together, they're, they're really kind of a fun character. Right? And it's, I think, um, you know, I even got a laugh when one of them you know, says like he's going to milk his cow <laughs> to have milk and I think Catherine or I guess it's Jim the narrator makes the point that you know bachelors always drank condensed milk out of cans or something they didn't drink from the cow so he was kind of unique in that way um, but they have to kind of work together to survive right so that's that's the thematic we have here in the introduction of these characters the next scene we have is this is chapter 6 I think um, this is about this is just Antonia and Jim in one of their you know English lessons talking about nature and they talk about the badgers and the bugs and I think Antonia even gets a bug in her her hair and then we get a a Chekhov's gun you know literally a gun here um, and Mr. Schirmer is walking by and he has this gun and this gun he brought from the old world uh, he got it like as a wedding present or something or no I think he played at a wedding and this was the payment he got for playing at a wedding and he got it and he says like you can have it someday Jim. You know, and this is this is of course foreshadowing uh, Mr. Schirmer's eventual suicide. But more than that, the fact that he's out hunting with this gun shows how much they're struggling to make it as farmers, and and he really has to supplement the family income or really their survival. They, they can't even get food really without without the hunting of it. So it, it's another suggestion of just how poorly he's doing personally, how poorly he's doing in this in Black Hawk. And, and making it in his new life as a farmer. Now, the fact that he wants to give the gun to Jim, I, I don't know if this is that he's already thinking about suicide because he talks about like when I die, you, know, you can have it, but not to his son, right? So why why wouldn't the gun, which I think at those days would still be a pretty expensive 
family heirloom kind of thing. It wouldn't be just a, a throwaway item. Why give it to the to the neighbor boy? Um, I don't know if that's something like a almost kind of he's, he's Mr. Shimmer to thinking that maybe Jim will marry Antonia someday, and it's kind of like that um, or whatever. But Jim is taken aback by the offer to to have the gun. In chapter seven, uh, you know, if you want to put Jim on kind of a hero's journey here, it's in chapter seven that he slays the dragon. Uh, he's out with Antonia, and it's, the chapter begins with him complaining that Antonia always had kind of a smug, superior tone. Uh, although she's older, you know, Jim feels, well, she's still a girl, right? So, you know, I, I should still be the, in charge when they're out playing or whatever. And so this chapter is really about Antonia getting a bit of respect for, for Jim because they, they run into this big snake and a rattler. And this was foreshadowed early in their novel, too, where I think Grandma said, you know, when you're going in the fields, you have to have this snake stick. Uh, the snake's there and Jim's able to kill it, beat it. And it suggested that it's, it was kind of an old snake that had an easy life because it would just eat prairie dogs whenever it was hungry. And so it kind of was fat and lazy. And so therefore easily killed, which I think might be a whole metaphor for the frontier in, in a way. Or, you know, Antonia is not the kind of person who's going to be fat and lazy and easily killed. Uh, I think that's so in a way, I think the snake is a foil for Antonia. In a way, Jim might be that, too. But I think the snake is is presented very clearly as the kind of thing that can survive in the frontier. You know, or the easy life is going to make it for for a lot of these people. Okay, chapter eight. Um, so we're about halfway through the first part already. Um, chapter eight is is about the the Russians. We're back to the Russians, and it's basically about why they can't make it on the frontier. And it really has to do with with debt. They owe a man named Cutter a bunch of money in Blackhawk, and so there's these Blackhawk merchants. And this is common throughout the American West at the time and in the South, where you had to go to these kind of merchants and money lenders in the cities or in the towns or at the general stores to get credit to run your farm or right or to, to keep your head above water and the, the russians were in deep with this um, especially peter russian peter at the same time pavel is getting ill and you know every, you know peter thinks pavel's going to die soon so it's it's basically foreshadowed that or this chapter is about the, the decline of, of the Russians. And this is going to have big consequences for Mr. Shimerda because eventually Pavel dies and, and Peter, who really can't make it anymore, he's in debt. He was used to making it as part of this bachelor pair um, that they had going, this bromance. Um, but with Pavel dead, Peter really just gives up. And then he goes and becomes like a, a worker in the city. I think he ends up, or maybe a chef or something for some Russian restaurant somewhere. Anyways, he just gives up. Um, his final scene, though, is that he he was saving up all these all this fruit for the winter, and he sells everything in his house because he's going to have to leave. But he eats all the melons, right? Um, he eats all his winter food. And I don't know if that what that really symbolizes. I tried to think. I thought about it, but I couldn't quite get maybe what it's about but there's some kind of thematic symbolism here of him eating his winter stores right of course winter stores are key to survival in in the frontier so maybe it's just because he has no future in nebraska so he might as well just eat it and then because he's going to live the urban life for now on right so that's where these people who don't make it 
in the this late 19th, early 20th century frontier. They, know, they go to the cities, right? Way back early in this podcast when I looked at the octopus, right? It's the same there. Like The last part of the octopus is about after the ranches are destroyed by the railroad. You know, we, we follow some of the characters as they go off, and they all seem to end up in the cities, right? We're, they're miserable there. Um, it's worse there than it was in the countryside. But, you know, that's that's the path for people who don't make it in the countryside, right? There's not really second chances in the in the as a farmer, which is, you know, kind of sad if you think about it. But anyways, that's that's the, the story of the Russians. And we're told from Jim, from the narrator, that this has a huge effect on Mr. Shimerda. Quote, the loss of his two friends had a depressing effect upon old Mr. Shimerda. When he was out hunting, he used to go into the empty log house and sit there brooding. The cabin was his hermitage until the winter snows penned him in his cave. For Antonoy and me, the story of the wedding party was never at an end. We did not tell Pavel's secret to anyone, but guarded it jealously, as if the wolves of the Ukraine had gathered that night long ago, when the wedding party had been sacrificed to give us a plentiful, peculiar pleasure. At night, before I went to sleep, I often found myself in the sled drawn by three horses, dashing through the country that looks something like Nebraska and something like Virginia. But first, this story that he tells. So he get, before he leaves, he gives the story to, to Jim and Antonia. And the story is actually about Pavel and Peter and where they came from. And basically, they were, they ran, they were groomsmen, so they ran like these horse uh, carriages and things in the old country. And wolves attacked and like, killed everyone except um, Pavel and, and Peter. Right? They're the only survivors. And the, then they were kind of deemed cursed or something by the village. So that's why they had to, to leave Russia. So they have, a, they have a much more intimate emotional connection than just, you know, kind of a, a batch of romance going on. Now, after, this, after the Russians leave, then we, we enter into Jim's first winter in Nebraska. A lot of what happens, of course, the central event of this winter is the, the death of, of Mr. Shimerda. This is suicide. Uh, he doesn't survive this, this, this winter. But a lot of what's going on in these chapters is, is like grandma not, you know, the burdens not fully understanding, I think, the cultural values of the Bohemians, especially a lot of the gift giving going on because Mrs. Shimmer is often bringing gifts and things. And this is something that bothers grandma and Jim doesn't even think it's right. And this kind of harkens back to the gun circumstance where, you know, he didn't really know why Mr. Shimmer was offering to give him this, this precious family heirloom, right? A rifle. And, you know, we got, you know, the Bohemians seem to be very cooperative and collective and, you know, willing to, you know, engage in this kind of mutual sacrifice, but they're in a world, this hyper-capitalist world, where you know, the, as the story of the Russians show, you know, people are just discarded and defeated, and you know, by the the engine of the market. And that's something I think the Americans understand a little bit more than than the immigrants perhaps understood. And then after one of these visits, where the th- the theme is really them: do they have enough money to make it? How much do they bring with them from America? You know really this kind of question in grandma's grandmother's mind about whether uh, the Shimerdas, you know, are going to make it or even especially with their kind of what apparently spends thrift um, ways or I think at one point she calls them just not horse smart, right? Here or, or horse sense. They're wanting everything and most of all is in horse sense. Nobody can give them that, I guess, Jimmy. 
here is about as able to take over a homestead as they are. Do you reckon that boy Ambrose has any real push in him? So that, that's grandma's grandmother's question about the Shmurdas, basically suggesting whether if they have any common, the common sense necessary to make it in, in the frontier. And I guess the, the, the inverse of this is that the Shemurdas seem to expect or demand or, or require, you know, they, they take for granted that they're going to get help from the neighbors. And this is something the burdens eventually grow to resent a little bit. So anyways, that, that's, a, that's a tension that goes on throughout this, this first hard winter. Um, but all that gets kind of pushed aside when, when Mr. Shemurda kills himself. Uh, but first, we're going to have a nice country Christmas, and actually Jim is able to go into Black Hawk and, and appreciate the small town Christmas scenes. That's chapter 11, if you want to know, and it's really nice. It's just a couple pages, but it's a nice snapshot of, of Christmas in, in old Nebraska, if you will. And then he kind of goes to buy gifts and bring in stuff, and he comes back. I forget who he goes with. Maybe he goes with Grandpa. Um, and then Mr. Shemurda actually comes over to celebrate Christmas with, with them. He comes to thank them and they pray together, even though the burdens must be Protestant. And the Shemurdas, I guess, are Catholic. Yeah, I think they're Catholic. And of course, there are the Bohemian Protestants too, right? Because that's what, um, what's his name? Hawkeye in the other talking tales, right? He was the the Morvanians, right? Those were those Bohemian Protestants the, from that John Huss sect. Um, but these seem to be Catholic um, Bohemians. And so there's a little bit of cultural difference in how Christmas is celebrated. But this is this is kind of a nice moment we get before the tragedy of 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 the following chapters. But yeah, you, like the other the rest of the Shimmerda family isn't there to celebrate Christmas with them. So I don't know. I get, I get the sense that he is just desperate for companionship, actually. And you know, it seems he kills himself mostly out of loneliness, um, in fact. And I think that's heavily uh, suggested in, in some of these passages, that he just wants to be around people and to talk with people. And, you know, Christmas becomes an excuse to do that. Um, we get a really bad blizzard after Christmas in January. And... You know, and it seems Antonia is very much aware that things are getting really bad at home. And she kind of confesses a lot of this to Jim. First, telling the backstory of, of that it was actually her mother that encouraged her father to go to America, that he never wanted to go, that he had a happy life and he had friends. And he really misses his friends um, back in Bohemia. And then she says, like, you have so much and we're in such desperate space. Why, why don't you share with us more? And I think this goes back to kind of these cultural differences right that in the american frontier you know you really don't help each other i mean you're kind of all on your own you might maybe from time to time give some aid to one another but it's, it's much more an individualist environment and the bohemians are used to villages coming together and helping you know people who are poor i guess although i don't know much about rural bohemia i guess the shimmerdas aren't even really from the countryside right They're, they were more um, from the city back there we also learn in this chapter in her kind of confession that all like the family resources and expectations are put on her brother. And we already know that Antonia is the much more impressive figure. So it's just a kind of a gendered inequality that's that's at the heart of these these families. It's not something Antonia can really respond to. It's just something she has to deal with. This is then followed up in chapter 14, I think, yeah, with the news of of 
Mr. Shimerda's suicide. He kind of wakes up and just hears the commotion about it. He doesn't like hear the gunshot or anything. He just hears the commotion and there's like movement and a lot of activity downstairs. A lot of people are trying to figure out what's going on. And Otto eventually takes the younger brother, uh, Antonio's younger brother, to Blackhawk. And they, you know, they get the coroner back and they have to do the, the official kind of investigation into, into the suicide. But it's pretty clear that he, he basically is, feels very lost in nebraska he doesn't feel he can make it financially he, he lost his career he's doing something he really doesn't know very well he doesn't have friends he's having a difficult time connecting to his neighbors and all of these things contribute to his choice to to commit suicide the chapter ends with jim writing this uh, where they're thinking about where's his soul right I think it's it's Jake and Jim are talking about where his soul is. And, you know, the, the Christians aren't too fond on the idea of suicide, obviously. And them being Catholic, you know, have this idea of purgatory. And, you know, Protestants talking about purgatory, you know, because it's something they know about Catholicism, but they may not understand it very well. A little of that is in this conversation. And here's what Jim says. I don't believe it. I I almost know it isn't true. I didn't, and then we got his narration. I did not, of course, say that I believed he'd been in that very kitchen all afternoon on his way back to his own country. Nevertheless, after I went to bed, this idea of punishment and purgatory came back to me crushingly. I remembered the account of the dives and tor torment and shuddered, but Mr. Shimerda had not been rich and selfish. He had only been so unhappy that he could, no, could not live any longer. And that's, that's, the, that's the story of Mr. Shimerda. Uh, chapter 15 deals... 15 and 16 really deal with the aftermath of the the suicide and the funeral and the arrangements of the funeral and the arrangements for the family and all, all that kind of stuff. Now, a couple of things here. One is they can't get a priest for last rites. Um, of course, the, um, so that's something he's not going to have. And then they have to dig the grave and it's winter. So, you know, I think I remember, I don't know where I saw this. I think it's in Lovecraft stories I was reading, you know, it's something that, of course, I probably would have been aware of if I thought about it, but I, you know, it wasn't until I came across it in a novel that I actually thought about it. Is, you know, there were places that bodies would just be stored all winter until the ground thawed, and then they would dig the graves in the spring, right? So there would actually be special rooms at the graveyards where bodies would be basically stored, kind of mausoleum type things, and all the bodies would be buried in the spring. You know, now I guess with technology we we can just dig these graves, but they actually, you know, dig this grave in the in the winter. Um, there's really no inquest, well, there is an inquest, but there's not, you know, it's obviously a suicide, right? Now, one character does feel a little bit guilty, and this is the, this other man who kind of was taken advantage of the Schmerders a little bit when they first came, and is particularly taking advantage of the fact that they didn't want to work with the Germans and the Austrians. You know, he was really exploiting that rate, that ethnic tension to to kind of make bad deals with them right and he feels a little bit guilty oh his name's jelnik right so he's and he's he's the other bohemian nearby and he just feels some guilt that maybe he didn't do enough to reach out to mr schmerd or whatever so there is some discussion of guilt here even though it's clearly um, from a legal standpoint a straight uh, a clear suicide 
Um, so chapter 16 is fairly gruesome because we, we actually have the burial. And so we have this, you know, this preparation of the braid and actually like body was stuck to the ground frozen to the ground the blood was frozen to the ground it's about as gruesome as this novel gets but it's you know it was kind of shocking when i when i read it you know of course i've read much more gruesome things but you know i hadn't been used to it in in any of willa cather's um novels so in chapter 18 we have spring comes and you know the the suicides of farther in the past and the shmurdas have to start to get to work and so jim can start start seeing less of antonia um, doesn't spend as much time with her because she, she's really needed on the farm and she's working really hard alongside her brother to get this farm going and he starts going to school and the bohemians don't it seems um this is how the chapter begins after i began going to the country school i saw less of the bohemians we were 16 pupils in the side schoolhouse and we all came on horseback and brought our dinner my schoolmates were none of them very interesting, but I somehow felt that by making comrades of them, I was getting even with Antonia for her indifference. Since the father's death, Ambrose was even more than ever the head of the house and seemed to direct his, the feelings as well as the fortunes of his womenfolk. Antonia often quoted his opinions to me, and she let me see that she admired him while she thought of me only as a little boy. Before the spring was over, there were distant coldness between us and the Shimernas. It came about in this way. And then he describes uh, some of the encounters they have in the aftermath of the death of Mr. Shimerda and particularly the spring in which, you know, the, the arrangement changes and partially they're, you know, you got kind of a new head of the family in the case of this young boy and kind of a new purpose of the family as they're really trying to work hard to get this farm going. I think Jim's feelings are fairly complex here because on the one hand, he's very impressed by the work she's able to do because basically she's from from the perspective, kind of from a labor point of view, she's she's working as like a man. She's doing man's work on the farm and she kind of loses some of her whatever femininity she had. But Jim still kind of admires that. Um, but he also thinks that she's losing opportunities and he's, he's kind of coming at it from this more educated school perspective, right? Like she's missing out by not going to school. And these are all the little ways that gaps between the two families begin to grow. And there's even a feud between Ambrose and Jim, or I think Jim's trying to take back a, a horse collar or something that they borrowed and they don't want to give it back. And there's a big fight. And this goes back to the, some of the earlier discussions of gifting and sharing, resource sharing. And there's a bit of a kind of a cultural divide here. And it, it blows up in, in chapter 18 and helps kind of fracture, fracture the families. And from, from this point on, you know, the relationship between Jim and Antonia are, are a little bit more aloof. And they're really going to go their separate paths. And I, I think that's a major theme of the novel. And, and when you look at it from a certain point of view, it's really the close, intimate relationship between Antonia and Jim is really only that first summer, or it's really that one summer. You know, it's, it's like I just reread The Body by Stephen King, you know, and how that that novel is about like one moment, like of just a few days and one important summer in which, you know, people make decisions. From that point on, people make decisions that, that they'll go different paths, right? And the friendships we have as kids don't always stay with us in our adulthood. That was a theme that King looked at a lot in his early work. And there's a bit of that here, too, I think. 
But uh, book one of My Antonia ends kind of on a nice note. Uh, they start to see the fruit of their labors um, and in the form of corn, and it's a very prosperous harvest, it looks like. And we actually have this foreshadowing of, of, the, of the Midwest being the breadbasket of the world. And Antony and Jim kind of gaze over this bounty together. Their storm arrives, though, and they 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 watch. They, they go outside and watch the storm and experience the storm from the outside. And they they chit chat a little bit. And Antonia basically hints that the kind of life she could have if she lived with the burdens, and if she didn't invest herself in her family and take kind of the leadership of her of her brother, if she instead lived with the Jim, she could maybe have a different life. And that's something Jim thought about earlier. He thought that Antonia could have a different path, but. You know, Antonia sort of just sort of sighs and says, "No, like my my fate is to be bound up in 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 my family." Quote: If I live here like you, that's different. Things will be easy for you, but they will be hard for us. All right. So she's she's kind of committed to a future of of, of she's committed to the kind of the harsh life. So, anyways, um, wow, fifty minutes. It took me fifty minutes to talk just about the first half of this novel. Um, yeah, so that's that's the first half of My Antonia. I'll talk about the second half in the follow-up episode. I'll try to go through it a little bit quicker. Uh, really, the part, the next four books of the novel are really short vignettes at different moments, so maybe it'll be easier to talk about them more quickly. Um, but this, again, this this is really about this first half of the novel is really about a year in the life of of Antonia and Jim as they came to know each other, and then the reasons they break apart. In fact, it kind of parallels the Song of the Lark a little bit in that you have kind of an intimate look at a family and, then, and their connections and their relations. And then we see there why the future for Thea was Chicago and art, right? The things that broke her from the land and from that culture, that background, that landscape. Here, it's really about how two people meet for a moment and develop a relationship but that relationship really can't stand because there's different career different paths for that people go on all the time and anyways it's that's that's what it is up to this point it's a really great novel though i mean there's so many details there's so much i just could just touch on it's really really a rich story so i recommend you read the story if you haven't done it yet um so i guess that's that's what i have to say about it um for now i'll be back with the second half of my Antonia. Um, we'll we'll come to the end of the novel um, but anyways, thanks so much for listening and thanks for supporting this podcast. I will be back next time uh, with the rest of the novel. If you have any of your own comments, uh, obviously I'm just scratching the surface of this rich story. Um, please leave your comments below or send me an email. You can do that at 100pagescast at gmail.com. 100pagescast at gmail.com. Um, and I'll, I'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening. Auf steile